Well, thank you very much, uh, Ant, and uh, thank you, Paul, for leading us. Um, just um, by way of introduction to this, this subject, um, a little video. Uh, we, Paul was intimating in our prayers that we are despairing of some of our politicians. Um, how about this? Senator Collins, thanks for coming in. It's a great pleasure, thank you. This ship that was involved in the incident off Western Australia this week... Yeah, the one the front it, fell off? Yeah. Yeah, that's not very typical. I'd like to make that point. Well, how is it untypical? Well, there are a lot of these ships going around the world all the time, and very seldom does anything like this happen. I just don't want people thinking that tankers aren't safe. Was this tanker safe? Well, I was thinking more about the other ones. The ones that are safe? Yeah, the ones the front doesn't fall off. Well, if this wasn't safe, why did it have 80,000 tonnes of oil on it? Well, I'm not saying it wasn't safe. It's just perhaps not quite as safe as some of the other ones. Why? Well, some of them are built so the front doesn't fall off at all. Well, wasn't this built so the front wouldn't fall off? Well, obviously not. How do you know? because well, the front fell off and 20,000 tonnes of crude oil spilled into the sea caught fire. It's a bit of a giveaway. I'd just like to make the point that that is not normal. Well, what sort of standards are these uh, oil tankers built to? Oh, very rigorous maritime engineering standards. What sort of thing? Well, the front's not supposed to fall off for a start. And what other things? Well, there are uh, regulations governing the uh, materials that they can be made of. What materials? Well, cardboard's out. And? No cardboard derivatives. Like paper? No paper. No string, no sellotape. Rubber? No, rubber's out. Um, they've got to have a steering wheel. There's a minimum crew requirement. What's the minimum crew? Oh, one, I suppose. So the allegations that they're just designed to carry as much oil as possible, uh, oh, all the consequences, I mean, that's ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. These are very, very strong vessels. So what happened in this case? Well, the front fell off in this case by all means, but it's very unusual. But Senator Collins, why did the front book fall off? Well, a wave hit it. A wave hit it? A wave hit the ship. Is that unusual? Oh, yeah. At sea, chance for millions. So what do you do to protect the environment in cases well, like this? the ship was towed outside the environment. Into another environment? No, no, no. It's been towed beyond the environment. It's yes, not in the environment. A... No, but from one environment to another environment. No, it's beyond the environment. It's not in an environment. It well, has been towed be beyond the environment. Well, what's out there? Nothing's out there. Well, there must be something there out there. There is nothing out there. All there is is sea and birds and fish. And? And 20,000 tonnes of crude oil. And what else? And a fire. And anything else? And the part of the ship that the front fell off. But there's nothing else out there. Senator Collins, thanks for joining us. complete it. void. Yeah, we're out of time. The environment's perfectly safe. We're out of time. <sighs> that, my friends, is what we're up against. Uh, so uh, the, question, the question today, uh, then, is uh, why should we care for the environment, or if we like to put it as well, the, the creation? Why should we care for it? Um, and I think we've looked at three reasons over the last three sermons so far. First of all, God's commands. In Genesis chapter 1, he, he makes human beings and he said, I put you in charge. Uh, you're, you're the top dog, if you like. You are in charge of everything. And in Genesis 2, we saw last week, he puts the man in a garden and he says, you are to work it and take care for, of it. The very first commandments in the Bible um, predate the Ten Commandments, by some time. Okay. Um, secondly, two weeks ago, we looked at the, the fact that God's plan is not to replace the earth, but actually to renew it. And because uh, of that, we should be working in that plan of renewal and redemption with God. And, and then the, the third one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. He has only given it to us on trust. So there are lots of good reasons from a Christian point of view why we should uh, respect and actively take care of this wonderful creation that God uh, has entrusted us with. 
Uh, now today uh, I'm grateful to a friend of mine, Kevin Durrant, who, who, who's written this uh, lovely little book called The Earth Will Teach You. Um, Kevin is the minister at Canesham Baptist Church just outside uh, Bristol and formerly he was at a church in, in Gloucester. But uh, he's written this excellent book, The Earth Will Teach You. And um, what he says in this book is actually we should be listening to the voices of creation itself. Actually, the earth wants to speak to us. Are we listening? In Job, uh, Job chapter 12, Job is told uh, to ask the animals and they will teach you. You know? Proverbs chapter 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. You know, there's lots of things that we can work on. Jesus, uh, consider the birds of the air. Uh, last Saturday I was leading a retreat down at Honiton based on that very uh, passage. We, the creation itself has got something to say to us uh, if we are listening. Uh, we've just been singing a song that Paul chose. Uh, um, Jesus is Lord, creation's voice proclaims it. The whole of creation is speaking to us, and if we were to have ears to hear, uh, what would it be saying, and uh, how would we respond? Well, let's have a look at the first slide here. Um, Hopefully, after the first click, my dear, it should... uh Ah, this little fellow, a giant tortoise, um, first discovered on the Galapagos Islands. And if anyone speaks Spanish, you will know that Galapagos means tortoise. So these islands were whereby the Spanish uh, uh, seamen, who, who, uh, explorers who first discovered Galapagos, found that these islands were covered in these amazing giant tortoises. Um, I don't know how much they weigh, but, but a lot. They, they are huge. And, and at one time there were maybe 5,000 of these tortoises on Galapagos. And of course you're, you're aware that uh, Charles Darwin's uh, research was, was carried on on these islands, which have got an incredible diversity of creatures that are found nowhere else on the earth. Fantastic. But by the 1960s, the number of tortoises was estimated to be down to 15. Mm. These tortoises uh, are as, as vulnerable as any other creature on the planet. They're easy to catch, they've got a lot of meat in them, and you can understand why seamen landing on an island with walking uh, fresh meat larders uh, were tempted to, to, to kill them and, and eat them, which is what has happened. Um, now, in 1968, uh, a lady called Margaret Atwood wrote a poem Uh, And I've asked Robin to come and read us this poem called The Elegy for the Giant Tortoises. Let others pray for the passenger pigeon, the dodo, the whooping crane, the Eskimo. Everyone must specialise. I will confine myself to a meditation upon the giant tortoises, withering finally on a remote island. I concentrate in subway stations, in parks. I can't see them. They move to the peripheries of my eyes. But on the last day, they will be there. 
Already the event, like a wave traveling, shapes vision. On the road where I stand, they will materialize, plodding past me, in a straggling line, awkward without water, their small heads pondering from side to side, their useless armor sadder than tanks and history. In their closed gaze, ocean and sunlight, paralyzed, lumbering up the steps, under the archways, toward the square glass altars, where the brittle gods are kept, the relics of what we have destroyed, our holy and obsolete symbols. Thank you very much, Robin. Very powerful poem. And in case you didn't get the, uh, some of the references in that poem, perhaps if you look at this next picture... You will see the square glass altar that he's referring to. A glass case with a stuffed animal which no longer exists. Of course, the dodo, a peculiar creature. Uh, I mean, if you saw one walking down the street, you'd be absolutely gobsmacked, but you won't see one walking down the street because uh, they were all killed. And again, they were big lumbering birds, they had lots of meat on them, they didn't fly, and so they were easy game for anyone to catch and eat. And uh, the island of Mauritius uh, lost those um, quite some, uh, was it 100, 100, I forget exactly when, uh, last century I think, or was it, but anyway, that is an actual one stuff that's in the British Museum, uh, National History Museum. Um, It it also reminds me of, uh, of, we're thinking about Margaret Atwood's poem from the 1960s, some of the folk poets, Joni Mitchell, uh, they've taken all the trees They've put them in a tree museum and they charge the people a dollar and a half just to see them. That's, what, that's where it's going. Do we want uh, museums full of extinct things that we can go and ponder on uh, or do we want actually the creation that God has made? And one more, uh, Karen. This is a sculpture, but it's a sculpture of a bird called the Great Orc, which is related to the puffins and the guillemots and things. It was a metre tall. Uh, and again, uh, flightless bird, uh, uh, it, the last one was clubbed to death in 1840 on the Scottish island of St Kilda. Because the residents believed that these great orcs were the cause of a dreadful storm, and therefore they clubbed it to death. In 1930, the whole island of St Kilda was deserted and is now uninhabited. I wonder if there's a, a moral in that story or a kind of a, an allegory as to where we are going. First of all, we kill all the creatures and then what's left for us. One more picture. Hmm. This, uh, this donkey is on uh, the, um, on, on the Kamusinga Cam- Highway uh, just outside Icy Fem's Hospital in, in Kimalili. Uh, in Kenya, and uh, you can see it's carrying probably charcoal, I would think, uh, down from the forests that the local people will, um, will, will, will make the charcoal or the firewood, they load up their donkey as much as it can possibly carry, and then they will make it walk down to the market in Kimalili. Um, this one's obviously had enough and, and has, has collapsed for a while, um, but any animal lovers would be would be heartbroken to see.
just how some people treat, uh, treat their animals. And, uh, uh, and that leads me on to the story we've just heard. Um, it's a very strange story, isn't it? Balaam's donkey, Numbers 22. Um, now, the context of this story, uh, and I, I apologise to Anne, because I, I should have started at verse 21, and it would have made more sense, so um, I, I, I realise that. But anyway, um, the context of this, this is a story about the people of Israel who have, have left the, the wilderness, and they're, and they're heading now towards and through uh, Canaan, the promised land. Um, in the previous section, they've just been through the land of the Amorites, and um, if, you, if you read that story, you realise that uh, they, they asked permission to go through the land of the Amorites. They said, we won't touch any of your crops. We, won't, uh, we will just want to go through your land because it's the quickest way. And the two kings said no. And in fact, the kings came out and attacked them. But God was with the people of Israel and, and they managed to defeat the Amorites. So King um, Sion and Og uh, were, were, were killed and... Um, then they marched on to the next country, which is Moab. Now, the king of Moab is obviously anxious because he's seen what Israel have done to uh, the Amorites uh, and he's, he's worried. He, he realises that these people have a supernatural power behind them. And, um, and so he, he decides to counter like with like, so he, he calls for a local holy man called Balaam. Uh, who is well known, and uh, he says, uh, I- I'm going to pay you a fee, and if you will curse Israel for me. Because um, King Balak of, of Moab realises that they've got the divine power with them. So if you curse them, Balaam, then, uh, then you know, I might have a chance of, of beating them. So um, Balaam goes away, and he talks to God, and God says to them, don't curse them, bless them, because they are my blessed people. So Balaam goes back to Balak and he says, no, no, I'm not going to curse them because uh, God has told me that I mustn't go with you and I must bless them. Uh, so Balak offers him more money and he sends even more powerful princes to encourage him to go with him. Uh, and Balaam goes away again asks God, but you can see what's behind this. Balaam is, is thinking, um, now, if I ask God again, maybe God will change his mind. Maybe God will get, let me go. After all, I have been offered a lot of money. Hmm. Interesting. One of the things that uh, we always tell people about uh, the work of ICFM in, in Kimalili is that they never offer bribes which are fairly normal in, in Africa. They never offer bribes, which means things take a lot longer. But in many countries, the more money you offer the bribe, the more chance you are of getting your way. And Balaam thinks, well, I maybe try this on God. And God says, well, okay, go with them, but only say what I tell you. Well, that's at least what Balaam has interpreted God as saying to him. So they go off uh, on his donkey and... Uh, As, uh, as, as he goes along the road on his donkey, you, you've heard the story, the donkey stops and won't go any further. And so Balaam hits it with a stick and makes the donkey go on further. Um, there's also um, another lesson in here which I'll tell you in a moment. 
And then he gets to a narrow bit and he crushes his foot against the wall and again he beats the donkey. And uh, three times he beats the donkey. And then eventually the donkey speaks. Have you ever heard a donkey speak? I've heard, you know, Esther Ransom, the, the, the dog that says sausages. But I've never heard a donkey speak. Um, but the donkey actually speaks. What have I done to you that you would beat me three times? Um, and Kevin Durrant says, Balaam's love of money has so dulled his spiritual senses that he couldn't see the angel of the Lord. But the donkey could. Uh, the other thing I was going to tell you in this story, notice it's a female donkey. The female donkey could see things that the belligerent man couldn't. I have discovered over nearly 40 years of marriage that my wife is sometimes right. <laughs> and I am sometimes wrong. <clears throat> yeah. But, you know, this man, he's a powerful man, he's a well-known holy man, uh, he's uh, been offered a lot of money, uh, he thinks he's right, and he's beating the donkey to make it do what he wants it to do. He cannot see, right in front of him, uh, the angel of the Lord. And I wonder how often we are guilty of the same. We're so belligerent, we're so driven by our own our desires, our anger, our motivation, our greed, whatever it might be, that we don't see the uh, angel of the Lord. Um, blindness caused by affluence. So let's just move this away slightly from us as personal, as individual beings, to us as a, as a, as a na- nation or as a, as, a, as, a, as a world. How much of what goes on in our world is driven by powerful individuals and corporations and by money. (coughs) Most things, aren't they? Uh, I always wonder, is there such a thing as an altruistic politician? Somebody who completely serves for not their own interest. Uh, there, There probably are. There probably are some, but you can see the temptation, can't you, to actually be driven by the forces and by the lobby groups and, and all of these things. Um, now, this passage uh, in the Old Testament is rather strange, but it's actually commented on twice in the New Testament. So let's just have a look what Peter has to say about it. He talks about the false prophets and the people who are deceiving the people. They've left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Do we listen? Was Balaam listening to his donkey? No. Was he listening to God? No. But eventually, the donkey rebuked him. And the the shortest little letter in in the New Testament, the letter of Jude, only one chapter, he says, Woe to them! They've taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. But the donkey saw and spoke. Our modern world is blindly travelling towards destruction. 
Okay, there are people who will deny it, but we are destroying our forests. Uh, talk about denying it. There are people, uh, today is, is World um, Holocaust Day. There are people, and, and they reckon this morning on the radio, one in 20 in this country who even deny the Holocaust took place. Uh, there are equal, well, even larger numbers who would deny that there's climate change taking place, even though the evidence is right before us. We're destroying our forests. We're destroying our seas with pollution and plastic. We're destroying our atmosphere. We are destroying the creatures that God has created and the habitats he created for them. The other way around, normally. Destroying the habitat is, is the death of the species, just have a look at this uh, little video. Karen, can you manage to get that on for me? Doing a grand job over there. socking the eye, isn't it, when you come to the end of that one? Um, did anyone watch Chris Packham last night? On the, uh, Chris Packham was uh, trying to find a, a young girl in is it Borneo that, that he met 20 years ago and, and going back and seeing how the whole, in that 20 years, the whole of the rainforest has gone and just palm oil plantations. Okay, you go into them, they look green and lush, but there's, it's wiped out. Not only the, the habitat for creatures, but those people are now living in poverty because they're now beholden to the big uh, palm oil companies. Did you see that? 427,000 tonnes of palm oil a year to make Doritos for the Pepsi company. Uh, now, Steve uh, Cup sent me an email this morning, uh, which I only just got. Um, Steve's not here this morning. Um, you might have realised, you might have heard that um, a couple few years ago, Iceland, the, not the country, the shop, uh, promised to remove all palm oil from its products. Okay. Uh, now, they've, they've actually just changed that slightly now. They've said they vowed to remove 100% of its own products by the end of 2018, saying that demand for the oil was devastating rainforests in Asia. Uh, unfortunately, it's been unable to completely do that. So they, what they're doing, they've dropped their name from 17 palm products because it's, been, it's proved impossible. Uh, I don't know about you, but Karen, whenever she goes to the supermarket, she always looks at the label to see how many things have got palm oil in them. Nearly everything. Unbelievable. Uh, so, but that's just one, one thing. 
Now, um, if we could go back to the PowerPoint, Karen, please. Um, the, point, um, the point here is, in this story of Balaam, Balaam hadn't even noticed, but the donkey spoke to him about the angel that was standing with the drawn sword because he listened to the voice of creation. Uh, now, what has God said? Genesis 1, let them rule over the birds and the beasts. The word dominion in the authorised version is a word that means to take care of and to steward. But some people have translated it dominate. God did not say to human beings, you may dominate this creation. Uh, He said, you may have dominion over it. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's. Psalm 115, the earth he has given to mankind. In other words, he has given it, he's loaned it to us. Uh, It's a gift and a loan. Genesis 2, take care of the garden. The problem comes, of course, in Genesis 3. Disobedience, you may do anything but that. Greed, selfishness, and the result, a curse on creation. Balaam is asked to curse Israel. uh, But in actual fact, by our disobedience, we brought a curse through all of mankind, on all of creation. And who is affected most by that curse? The poor. The poor people in the world are affected most by by this. The poor people don't have Doritos on their shelves. Uh, They don't even have homes or livelihoods um, in order to do that. And what did Jesus say about that? You must bless the poor. Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor. So, at the end of any sermon, you should ask three questions. First one, says who? Is this Laurie saying this, or are we saying, does God say this in the Bible? Yeah, yeah. If, if I've said anything to you today that isn't backed up by what it says in Scripture, then, you know, come and tell me afterwards, or now. Okay, next question, so What? You know, sometimes we get really fantastic sermons and you think, great sermon, well done, and then we go home and have our lovely lunch and that's it. I think there's always... Sorry? There'll be no world. So the the question, so what, is a really important one. And and I I give you permission every time I speak to come up to me afterwards and say, so what? You know, there's no point in having lots of theology in your head if it doesn't lead to, you know, something... Positive. Okay, so the next one is, what should I do? On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached to five to, to all those people, um, three thousand became. They said, "Brothers, what shall we do? We must better do something." So this is just about at the end of uh, of our time. But it, from now on until you go home, it's over to you. And there's a script. There's a board here. Okay, and um, it'll be nearly time for the children to come back in now because we've had communion and things today. Um, so, um, what can I do? Okay, um, so um, I'll just give you one. We just have one thing avoid palm oil. <laughs> okay. It's all very well saying what can somebody else do, 
but I want you to think, what can I do? And we can also include that. What, what can we as a church do as a result of what God has commanded us to do? Now, it might be something local. I mean, uh, there's been lots of projects in Somerset to uh, reinstate wildlife habitats, to bring back the diversity of wildlife, which, you know, something's dear, dear to my heart, and we'll be celebrating that next month. Uh, but it could be something very practical. Um, it could be, you know, looking at your own investments, looking at uh, your lifestyle, um, something we can do as a church, there are loads and loads of things, and we're going to be thinking a bit more about that over the next few months. So what I wanted to do is to put down, first of all, the theological ra- rationale for this. What, what are we about as Christians? Well, obviously, we're about making disciples. We're about loving one another. But there's, a, there's an important command about taking care of God's creation. That's part of it. And that's the people part of the creation, as well as the animate or inanimate you know the whole thing it's holistic you know so i want to leave that up there and let you write things up uh this week and it can stay up next week something that we can do as a result of what god uh, uh, has, has commanded and what we see in the world around us